Okay. Good morning, people of planet Earth. That's right. It's me again, that voice in your ear, and this is the Stream of Random Podcast, coming at you from the undisclosed bunker location in upstate Pennsylvania, where 20-foot Trump signs lie in the streets. But today is not super cold. And um, I hope we're going to have a good walk. I'm just uploading yesterday's episode that I recorded in the car on the way up here. And I hope you enjoy it. I listened to some of the audio and I deleted some of the scenes where I totally lost my concept. And I realized why the morning recording is so much more effective than the evening. Because my head is clear. And I have time to process all the junk in there when I'm sleeping. Which is why I think dreaming is so important. And sleeping. Because it gives you time to process that junk and clear up your mind. And uh, the audio quality was not that bad at all. Um, So I'm quite happy with the way it turned out. And... uh, We kind of went into, we introduced one idea, or maybe we revisited one idea. I guess it was, we we introduced one idea about how the whole idea of society is a meme. I have to get away from the street. Damn, I forgot my safety vest. I feel so naked without my safety vest on feel like a normal person now. Some dude walking through the street. I don't have my talisman of the safety vest. Okay. And then we kind of went into a retrospective and we went over all the different topics we covered on this podcast. And then I was thinking, man, we missed a couple of them. We haven't talked about the uh, coronavirus. I didn't mention that we talked about it. We talked about the World Health Organization and the um, 
how in China uh, it all started with mass vaccinations and checkpoints. And that was driven by WHO or the predecessor of them, predecessor of the U UN, the League of Nations. <clears throat> and uh, we didn't, we forgot to mention the entire idea of censorship in the left and communism and the freedom of speech. and the origin of these ideas that <clears throat> being called a fascist just means you're not, they don't agree with you. <clears throat> so we covered some of those topics, some political topics. And um, <clears throat> and we also covered um, some open source conference ideas. So that kind of gives you an overview of what we've done now so far. Kind of gives us an idea of what we've done so far. And um, I was thinking if we could go back and be able to select out start indexing and select out what clips occurred where. And they did that for the No Agenda show where they created this big index of all the audio. And I have to look into that. But I'm just going off my memory right now. So that's pretty good. And then we talked about the mandala and how we can create an art form. Now the rune stones that I looked at, they are written on the serpent that eats its tail. That goes in an internal circle. And
I guess that represents the cycle of life. How the dead then feed the living. And life is recycled. Old houses become empty and new people move in. And uh, then I was thinking, well, we could very well represent this whole thing as a linear stream, like one stream of random, the whole, all the podcasts, string them together on a timeline, and then view that as a straight line, but then we could just curl it. and have it curl around topics. So, when when we touch on one topic, let's say, it creates a point, and then we go to the next topic, it moves to a separate second point, creating a line between them, or a curve if they're round circles and not really points and how this snake would like kind of snake through all these different topics and come back to them wrapping around again that could be an interesting visualization with the words written on the body of the snake create a word cloud. So there's a lot of different visualizations we could try and create. But I was thinking more of like a conceptual map. I guess kind of like a word cloud, but put onto different, putting those words onto some spheres and some things and showing them somehow interconnected with each other. thing is, is that some of these ideas are orthogonal to each other, meaning in one perspective, there's just a dot that goes deep. It's turned to its side, so you only don't, you don't see the whole thing, you just see a point. And if you turn the perspective to the side, you'll see a deep underground tunnel. And that's kind of where we get into this realm of encoding, computation. Where it really just goes deep. And it becomes harder to uh, visualize. It's really like an embodiment. document in a document.
nesting of contexts and languages. And that's kind of interesting. But I guess this thing that we've created, this neural network that's associated with the podcast that could be created by listening to it all and following the ideas Morning, guys. If you follow this podcast closely and you go over all the ideas, it will create some model, some neural network. It's instructions for building an idea. or a set of ideas and that if multiple people were to follow it somehow we would get into a collective so I'm thinking that um, it's an interesting idea, which makes this whole podcast itself a meme. So we get to see a meme in action. Well, how does that all work? How can we deconstruct it? Well, I guess, first of all, we can break things down into smaller pieces. Deconstruct. Construct, deconstruct. Encode, decode. And uh, recode. You can kind of recode an existing idea using new terms or new perspectives. Try and restate the original idea 
with new terms, new ideas, a new foundation to attack it, to understand it, to recapture it. And uh, I guess what this is is kind of like an emergent system where we don't know what's going to happen and something emerges from it <clears throat> as I mentioned before the idea of the chaos function is that you take some number some input and then you apply some function to it which maps it back onto the same domain and um, every time you run it it kind of loops back changing the output adjust my hat here it's actually not that cold at all I was so much prepared for something super cold sorry about that Yeah, and thanks again to Mr. Billy Bones, who wrote me messages sometimes. He's like, hey man, that episode you wrote, you put out there, it's just noise. I can't hear nothing. It's like, thank you for telling me that. Let's check our recording real quick, make sure all the cables are plugged in. All right. Yeah. The weather is surprisingly mild here. No gloves. Just took off my ski mask type situation. Just thinking here. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Walking, walking, walking. Talking, talking, talking. Reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Yeah, so this chaos function kind of that would uh, just cause problems, basically. 
and um, Mandelbrot. Found functions like that. Fractals. And I'm sure there's some good theories on this topic right now that I don't know. And maybe we need to look into it deeper. I just have some vague memories of some books I read a long time ago. <clears throat> Maybe I can dig up those books. I don't know how many of them and where some of my books were lost along the way, but they're in my head. I can still see them in my bookshelf in my mind. Maybe I can find them online. Maybe we can do some research and resolve these pointers, these symbols. That's, find something that satisfies them. Just this idea idea that you can't describe fully because the idea that you cannot describe fully but you know when you found it is kind of like a receptor it's like one layer of a deeper system and I think once you get deep knowledge of something. Now this is where I'm quoting Kant and the Platypus by Alberto Eco. He talks about the cognitive types versus the molar knowledge. And the molar knowledge is the deep, deep knowledge. And I guess the, the deep knowledge is when you are able to break the idea down into a language or into smaller pieces to deconstruct it and relayer it and rebuild it on top of other parts which is then on the mind level I think now creating a wiring and some kind of graph or this piece over here is composed of these pieces over here with these parameters being set and then we're getting back to a lambda function of some kind where it's like replace this you know, over, over here with that over there template expansion or reduction
and we're going to kind of get into some kind of thinking. And that goes deeper into another dimension. The dimension of computation. Now, if we want to try and visualize this, again, we have to turn the camera to the side, turn it to the X, Y, or Z, and kind of go into another perspective. So let's view this from the side, like a cutout. It's like, how do you make a picture of a mine? When I was playing Minecraft, <clears throat> one of the modern mods we had, it had a, a way to visualize the mine. But it's very difficult to visualize it. Like you could set waypoints. You could see those waypoints on your screen. You could see the map from the top view at different layers of the map. But it was still quite difficult to visualize three-dimensional um, cave structures. And they didn't really do it. And I guess you could flatten them out into some kind of connected graph. So do some various abstractions and then project them onto a two dimensional, kind of like a maze topology I guess that's where we get into topology manifolds 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 to fold or to falten in German to do multiple folds Increases. Um, divisions. Can we look at the topology of the mind? The topology of ideas, how they're interconnected. The hypergraph of thought. How does it all fit together? But I will say I didn't see a single deer walking around up here. I guess everyone's got a bow and a gun.
when the deer know to stay away from people. But our deer, they bring their children to our garden. But they left the bok choy alone. They like the Swiss chart, but they left the bok choy. Got big, beautiful bok choys. Well, if we view everything as a stream, a stream of random, then all of the ideas in all the books came out of a stream at some point, and they consumed other streams. Some of these ideas kept their form over time. I'm thinking about you, Plato. It's like, yeah, you got this triangle. It's a universal idea. Like they taught that in us in like first class of philosophy. So you got this idea, the Platonic idea, and he dug it up out of the mountain. It was discovered, not thought of. That's like one of the first memes. It doesn't matter if it's true, but it's a nice way of thinking about it. And it could be true. There is such a thing as universal forms, mathematics. Like all triangles are instances of that universal triangle. At least mentally, you see, in that graph, we could have fixed points that we could come back to. Instead of seeing the triangles as individual instances, see them as emanating from that mountain and that gives us another perspective that gives us that deep view that alternative view and I guess that's the um, hierarchy of ideas or the derivative graph of ideas
Now we could try and trace Plato's life, like where he was walking and who he was talking to when he developed these ideas. We don't have those recordings. We just have writings and copies of copies of copies. Copies of copies of copies over generations and generations and generations. You have, if it was 4,000 years ago, and you calculate 20 years for a generation, generations from that perspective the idea of the accumulation of wealth as long as it occurs in a way that moves the meme forward might be a good thing if you're not free and you have no advantage for actually coming up with something good and new then why should you even do it if you don't get something special for actually um, inventing something is just taken away from you by the collective and they say thank you citizen for contributing your part to society and we'll take it from here <clears throat> what if you despise that and you just want to keep it for yourself what if they sent your friend to the gulag At what point will you just get sick of it? And this is kind of like the fight between the uh, communist or collectivism and individualism
the different isms, the fight between the different memes, and which meme is going to survive, which idea is going to propagate across 200 generations and be considered a successful idea, and which one will be quickly forgotten. And is it aesthetically pleasing? Is it easy to access? Is it made for the popular? Or not? Is it obscure or popular? And really, JavaScript is so popular, HTML and all that. We haven't really even gotten into CSS. And I really think we need to do a deep dive in CSS eventually. And in the end, we want something like CSS for Blender, where we compose our graphs, we compose our stuff somehow, and then we can apply a style sheet. create the animation. And CSS is kind of like a standard language for applying styles and selecting where to apply them to. And we could go in, and I could sit down here and talk to you for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours about this topic. About the browser and what we can do to make it more understandable and usable. And who really controls the browser? And I'd like to propose that no matter how nice and fuzzy and warm Mozilla is, that in the end, <clears throat> it's beholden to the Silicon Valley uh, companies that fund it. Because 
It's always a question of resources. The artist needs resources, and how? what's the compromises they make for the people in power? And who are the people in power? It's the social media companies, the Googles and the Facebooks, Microsofts and the Apples. And isn't it funny how Microsoft has turned from a software company into a social media company? Into a data collection company? Same as Apple. I'm told I can get an Apple something for less than $100 so that I can get an Apple ID. I wonder if it's possible to spoof them. get a virtual Apple in the cloud without having an Apple device? Or do you always need an Apple device? Do you always need that tracker to be physically present? Okay, we're going to pause the recording, I'm going to get a fresh coffee, and we will continue this conversation. Okay, we are back. We had a little break, and I sinned. I got a sausage egg muffin sandwich from Dandy's, the uh, food store here. And um, it was really good. So now I'm officially in trouble with my with my diet. Oh well. We're going to have to uh, do something about that. So it was funny. While I was taking a break, I got a message from a listener. Our, our friend, the Albanian um, comp sci student, and she said, "No Monday episode." <laughs> and I tried to explain that I was in the process of uploading it, and that it was taking a while. And then she said, I'll, uh, "I actually, I it's actually gotten part of my routine now to listen to your podcast. It's a really good podcast." And I said, thank you very much. And I said, she should send us a voice note, a voicemail. And she said she doesn't like how her voice sounds recorded. And that she doesn't want to do that. So I'll just read the note. And thank you very much. Um, 
and happy birthday to you. I was just checking out her Twitter feed. She said that it was her birthday. So, <clears throat> I can't really guess where she's located. It looks like she's in a different location. But I do have a tip for Albanians who live in other places. Because my wife is an Albanian who lives in another place. And it's very hard for them, it's very hard for her to connect with people. Um, she's going to kill me if I say this. But in general, you will find that Albanians tend to live in groups and um, they have a hard time making friends outside of their social groups because they have such high expectations of civility and hospitality that no one can ever meet. There's this whole thing about the law of the kanun of, let me think, oh, who wrote the kanun? I don't know if it's Hammurabi or Skanderbeg or Uzaki, I mean some old, old school, middle age warlord, intellectual. In any case, it's like the law of the land and part of it, which I thought was interesting, is that they have this encoded, this deep sense of hospitality where if someone shows up at your door, you have to serve them. And you have to, um, you have to take care of them. So if they ask for asylum at your house, and your house is your estate, or your kingdom, because all the Albanians have like five foot walls with like <clears throat> big broken glass or barbed wire on top. I mean, they have these compounds where they live. And if he's knocking on your huge gate and shows up then asking for asylum, then you have to protect him. Um, and you have to disarm him and he's basically your prisoner but I think that's funny because there's this whole culture of visiting each other and invading each other's houses and just showing up with no warning. And everything has to be always clean and nice and pretty and you always have to have food ready for them. This is great hospitality. Um, it's amazing. And that's also when we did the conferences in Kosovo, it was amazing and people loved it. And the hospitality of the Kosovars and the Albanians is really above anything else. And um, I think when they come to America or England, they'll find people cold and not listening to them and not being hospitable. Um, not following the basic rules of the canoon. And they have a hard time coping with that. So I just wanted to say that if you're in a new place, it's also you have to reflect over your, your context and realize that you come from someplace special and different. And that you have to make adjustments for that. And really, the only place I think in America where you'll find, like, 
this hospitality or this friendliness is maybe in church or different clubs or groups. Um, and even if you're not religious, you should consider going to a church that has people that you're interested in just to have that community spirit because you're not going to find it on the street. I don't really go to church, but I do like the community. I like the open source community. And in Germany, they had great open source meetups. And that's another thing. So anyway, I don't know anything about this girl, but uh, it kind of looked from glancing at her Twitter that she wasn't at home. Anyway. But thank you. Thank you to all the listeners, all the people who actually listen to this show. And if we can gain one listener who actually listens, then God bless you. You know? That's something special. So may, now I know of three people who actually listen to this show. My dad, the comp science girl, and Mr. Bones Malone, the Walk in the Mind podcast. Uh, Billy Bones who occasionally listens. <clears throat> oh, and one of my friends said that he added me on Spotify, so I hope he uh, got this message. I'm not going to mention his name to protect the innocent. So I guess when people see that we're not giving up, we're not letting go of the control, we're going to ride this stream of random to see where it takes us, we're going to evaluate this function. We don't know where it's going. We're going to dive deep into the matrix. So you can join me. Take the red pill. And deconstruct the reality around you. And see that we are just egos that are constructed out of Plato. In the end. And maybe it is the fungus who placed us here for his evil purposes. And we're just little puppets on his string. Who knows? Or is it God? Or is it both? And maybe the fungus is acting as an agent of God. That's some bullshit we can't figure out. <laughs> but I'm quite happy. So uh, let's continue. Uh, where were we? Where were we? Well, I got that episode uploaded, walking back to the house to start my day at work. 45 minutes in to this stream, and 45 minutes back, maybe I'll make it in an hour. I'll go down to the big bridge. Now we're here on the Susquehanna River, which is the longest non-navigable river in America. It's full of rocks, deep channels. There's no boats going through this river. It has never been conquered, but I think they dump it full of garbage. And it actually empties, empties out into Maryland or Pennsylvania, way down south in Dixieland. And we cross that border, we cross the river. It was this huge river. We crossed it when we, um, when we went down south 
Let's see what my phone is saying. It's beeping at me. I'm going to mute this channel in Telegram. Love you guys, but i got to mute you. So... So where we're at. Well, just trying to squeeze all of your ideas onto a piece of paper in a form of an art is a form of encoding. So when Gödel tries to represent all of math as a number, he's just painting by number. He's actually creating art. So he's creating an expression in an orthogonal sense, just one number, and by encoding into variations of that number, he is encoding things have some meaning and that can be interpreted by rules and those rules can be actually also encoded into the number I, I'm assuming so that you only need a couple of different rules and eventually you can break it all down to some very simple ones that can bootstrap the whole system that's what I'm thinking it could be recursively um, and even if it's not like that that's the way I think it should be so let's just go on, go over that okay but in the end it's just one big number and somehow in that number you've encoded as an art form the entire body of math for example and just think about that from an art perspective, aesthetically not pleasing to look at that one number, but we could visualize it. It might be interesting, but from a logical point of view, it's aesthetically pleasing. Just to imagine the logic of it, how we're layering and layering and encoding and encoding and putting something inside of something else, kind of wrapping it all up. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of um, <clears throat> an, a pleasing idea, symbolically, even if we can't really visualize it immediately. And this is where I kind of get into the idea that code is not exactly art. At least it's not a visual art. It doesn't lend itself to the visualization. I mean, how would you visualize it? And this kind of gets back to the book Gödel Escher Bach, 
by Douglas Hofstetter, where he was saying that Escher, M.C. Escher, is the visual representation of Gödel, and that Bach is the audio representation of Gödel, and that they're all connected in the eternal golden braid. Now, I'll have to read, reread his book to actually see the argument, but it's a pleasing idea, isn't it? And we can remember the idea as a narrative. We can remember the idea as a picture, even if we don't know all the parts of the logic. So we can appreciate it visually, kind of as a talisman, as a token, an eye of Fatima that you hang on the car to ward off the evil eye. And, um, <clears throat> is it John Buzuku? Anyway, or is it Naim Fresheri? I don't know all my history, my Albanian history. I'll have to go study it again. Um, but when we were driving around in Albania, I see these people hanging these teddy bears off their houses. And I say, what's up with these teddy bears? And it turns out that the teddy bear is like a talisman to ward off the evil eye. Or to say that you're down with the, with the kanuni. In any case, I think that there's some old, old shit going on over there in old Europe. In the mountains, where some kind of ritualistic, talismanic magic is happening. Something older than Jesus, older than the mountains. It's happening. And, um, you know, all of these modern religions, 2,000, 20 years ago, you had Jesus, I guess, 10,000 years ago, you had, I mean, when was Moses happening? Was it before or after the ancient Romans? I mean, the ancient, um, we're going to have to check our timelines. We're going to have to do some history here. Because it's kind of, I'm not exactly sure how old uh, the Hebrew uh, texts are. Like when it actually supposedly happened in the timeline. Is it three or four thousand years ago? But in any case, we're talking 50,000 years ago for when supposedly language was born. And um, we're going to assume that the talisman, the symbol, the rune, the icon, the piece of art that represents something, something you don't understand, just a cluster of an idea, some magic that you can shake at, at the dark to get rid of your fears, right? Something that you do, some action that you take to do some subconscious, ununderstanding, 
something to the subconscious ununderstanding something. It's like at some level we are connected to the old gods. You know, we talked about Thor, the god of thunder. That's pretty simple. It's like, dude, there's something happening in the sky, and it's loud and scary. And sometimes lightning comes down and burns shit. That's pretty powerful. It's like, Daddy, who's that? Well, that's some dude with a hammer, hammering away. I was like, oh, okay, Daddy. <clears throat> you know? What else is he supposed to say? He's some powerful dude like me. Look, I got this hammer here, just like this hammer. So it's kind of like a power grab of the humans. Um, and it also represents the patriarchal side of things. It's like, well, the uh, males were the dominant people in this society, so we put them as the dominant people in the sky and the gods. But when we get to uh, ancient Crete, Creta, island of Crete with Minos, they actually found women were the um, prominent people. And I guess we would find, if we knew anything about them, I went to um, Heraklion, I think, it was Heraklion, I, I went to the temples, we did a tour of, um, of Crete, quite amazing. That's a good ouzo. It's a good food. And um, I guess on islands, you would have different microsystems, different memes would flourish because they were protected in their safe space from invading people by the ocean until the day that the technological arms race stepped up and the dudes showed up at your doorstep with guns and swords and horses. And that's kind of like the story I was telling my son. I said, you know, the, the Spanish, they went down south to Dixieland, to Mexico, and they showed up on the shore of the Incas or the Mayans or the Aztecs, I forget which ones. And they had their silvery armor on and they had their horses and they had their ships and even their horses had armor and these guys were tall and they had swords and guns and it was like the, um, the natives actually thought they were the gods. They like started to worship them. And they'd never seen a horse before. They had no concept of a horse. And Umberto Eco, I think, was talking about this and saying that they could not see them in the beginning. That their minds couldn't conceive of these things. And they basically were not prepared to see them. And they could not see them. And this kind of gets into the idea that Wolfram was talking about that the information will reach your mind when it reach when it's ready to receive it and that you know 
if you're not prepared to receive this information, then it's just going to build up as like unprocessed data and you have to resolve it. So you need to construct the, the networks, you have to construct the neural networks in order to be able to receive this information. And they didn't have these concepts, they didn't have the philosophers telling them about horses, they didn't have this information. And like the people who were out scouting, who maybe weren't the highest level of cognitive abilities, maybe they weren't able to conceive of these things. And maybe they're witch doctors who were used to like staring into the dark crystals and looking for their gods and conceiving of things in their imagination as they were busy like sacrificing their neighboring tribes and pulling out their hearts and eating them caked in blood on the top of these great monuments and these great pyramids sacrificing their neighboring tribes to the gods you know when that was happening maybe those people would be more open to new ideas or more open to the to the vibes from the outside let's say than your standard foot soldier who just couldn't conceive of or see these ships for what they were. So that's what Umberto Eco was talking about, that maybe if we're not able, we're not, we don't have a certain technology level, we're not able, we're not ready to receive the information. It's like, I'm looking at this mathematical formula and it's just gobbledygook to me. I'm looking at this Gödel number this number that's the size of a planet and it's just ones and zeros and twos and threes and up to nine you know just numbers and I see some regularities in there some patterns but that's about it and then you could say oh well is it an even number or an odd number you know but in reality the number is so complicated it contains so much information that you really need the password to decode it. And this is where we get into structuralism, which I haven't mentioned. We talked about philosophy, but the structuralism, it's like, of all these possibilities, of all the different possible encodings, you're choosing one. And that encoding then is defined by the societal structures And these societal structures are what give you or construct structure, construct. The building of these societal structures, which are the memes, the behaviors, the behaviors that build structures, instructions, instructions, more structure. The instructions, which give you the codes to construct the structures, you got it, are given to you by the system to build the network in your brain to receive the ideas 
but it makes it so you can't see the ideas that are from other systems because you don't have the instructions for those systems and you can't decode them. So if you're stuck in a world, if you're from a society that has one system of ideas and one system of networks and the symbols have all a certain form and there's certain expectations and you go to a new place that these expectations are not upheld the symbols are structured in a different way and you don't have the codes for them then you're necessarily an outsider and you're going to be lonely because you don't have the codes the codes t-e-h-c-o-d-z the codes you need the codes to decode the message and that's what you learn in the skull and bone society in yale and when you go to the elite universities of the powerful the young and upcoming the young and upcoming elite are taught the codes but now we have open courseware and we have the internet and everyone can learn the codes and you can learn the codes from all different types of societies so put down the crack pipe crack open a book that's what I say because there's so much to learn So much to learn. Okay, my phone is beeping at me again. What could that be? Okay, another Telegram group I have to mute for my podcast. It's 7.20. I better get back to the pad and get my office space set up and pray that everything's going to work. At least I got a coffee machine. But I'm missing that little... Well, we got everything. I got my Chesve. Chesve is a great little um, invention. It's a little pot with a long handle on it that you can hold over the fire to cook your coffee. It's like a crucible. And it's, I guess it's Turkish. But uh, this Russian girl back at Worldcom, back in the 90s, she asked me if I knew what a Chesve was. And um, I wonder uh, if it comes from the Mongolians. Because the Russian tea is also from the Mongolians. Chai Ruse, and they call it Russian tea but it's the oolong tea, and the oolong tea is the smoked tea, and the smoked tea is from the Silk Road, and they would package this tea up, I guess they would smoke it, so it lasts longer. So that flavor of smoke, which I don't like, is actually part of the old Mongolian tradition, and the samovar, the stacked Russian tea kettle that you'll see in Russian spaceships if you watch Space Buddies, they have the Russian cosmonaut, and in space he's got his samovar. That's also Mongolian, given to the Russians by the Mongolian 
kings way back in the old days. So, I don't know the full connection between the Mongolians, the Russians, the Turks, and the Albanians, but they're all connected with the land. And then Genghis Khan was running all around. They say that he is the father of one-fifth of the planet. But Ali Pasha Tepelina was an Albanian. He had 500 wives, and we really, we really should do some history. I, had, I spent some time studying the uh, history of Turkey, history of Albania and Kosovo, and we really should cover some of these figures. Um, but it's also so political, I'm going to get so much hate mail on it. You have to just check out, I mean, there's so many edit wars in the Balkans, it's just crazy. Which is why I think the Wikipedia is a failure on the surface, but a success down deep. That's another topic we talked about, we didn't mention. You know, the whole idea of open knowledge. And that just goes deeper and deeper. Machine learning knowledge representation and all that fun stuff. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We're touching a lot of these points. They should be lighting up on a map somewhere on our mandala. Little lights popping up. Little neurons flashing when the words occur. And that is the recognition And just think about how many pizzas you have to eat to build all these networks, to consume all this knowledge. And how many different people have to work together to refresh it. It's not just one person. We're just name dropping at this point. We're just indexing some of this stuff and kind of calling out little pits and pieces. You know, this is a surface level podcast at this point. A little rowboat on top of the ocean, rowing along, leaving a little trail, a little wave behind us. And that little wave is the sound. But luckily we're able to record it. It's amazing. And we're able to transmit it all around the world. Wherever you are. The voice in your ear. Alright then. I got a thousand feet of Cat6 cable. Now I got the crimper ends. I'm going to run some cable uh, <clears throat> across the house. I just might run one humongous cable without the router, without a repeater. I'll just try and run the cable to the router and see if I can just string it along from one kitchen to the next. There's two apartments in this house that I'm staying at, at my dad's house while I'm working on the bunker, which is the second house.
and we're just going to see if we can wire this place up. So I'll do it simple. I'll just run one big long ass cable. Won't even drill. See if we can make that happen and get some high speed connection because I'm not going to be able to work today using that weak ass Wi-Fi through the wall. Now, I was listening to the Adam Curry and uh, Mo Facts, and they were into they were playing clips from um, Ice Cube, and Ice Cube said something interesting. He said, "We have to be realistic that he's not going to tell you how to vote. He's going to say, inform yourself and realize that white white supremacy is." within all of the Senate, within all of the House of Representatives, it's in the entire system, and no one side is better than the other. He said, that's the fact that we're going to have to deal with. And no one can make it that better. You know, no one can just, like, make wish that away. And I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. And really, we're talking about a system of colonization that has, and I mentioned this yesterday's podcast, a system of colonization, of conquering, of overthrowing the weaker man, the taking of his resources, and the creation of these huge ships going to other places with ships full of men. And you got to understand that they would also go to bars and just grab people and throw them on the ship, right? Like, not everyone was like a willing member of the galley rowing. There was a degree of domination and force in that system itself. And that colonizing force has spread across the planet. <clears throat> and it's a meme. It's a meme unto itself. And it's not a friendly one. And we all have to realize that that's what brought us here. That's the ship that plucked us down. And we have this chain this wave, this history, this genealogy of conquering that has gone on for thousands of years. And some of us are the conquerors and some of us are the conquered. And the Albanians have been on the receiving side of being conquered for quite some time, along with everybody else. But they're fiercely proud. They live in the mountains and they don't, they have a long history of not giving in and having their own system of justice, the Kanun, their own law of Hammurabi. So they kind of live by the sword, you know, as do many other people. And you'll see all of these conquered people 
enslaved people. And the Africans are easy to point out because like they were literally enslaved and sold. But how many other people were conquered and virtually enslaved and virtually sold to varying degrees? And I'm not saying that you can put it in any way relation, okay? And I'm not saying that they're, I'm not trying to say it's the same thing. It's not equivalent, okay? There is no equivalence and you cannot, you know, say it's the same. I'm not trying to say it's the same. What I am trying to say is that we all have to see, man, it's loud here. that there is this conquering oppressive force that is the heart of power, of government all over and it comes from the kings and even if they say they have the representational governments that power, the power structures are remnants of the kings remnants of the warlords you know, we talked about this living in, like, the equilibrium of peace. Uh, the fight between the left and the right, etc., etc. Where other things can spawn out. The deadlocks. And that's where we live. We live in this... In the teeth of the beast. Or being between the two beasts. that you hear is that Betty okay I have to put it on pause all right well that was fun I saw uh, the lady who used to work at uh, the Red Rose Diner where my dad was running just said hi so yeah I'm gonna close this out and I'm going to say greetings to all my listeners and all my fans. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're making something happen here. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's going, but we're having fun doing it. So you guys take care. Bye-bye.